Hi guys, Lisa C. here. Welcome back to Therapy Tea. I'm excited to bring you this interview with Nakia Homer. She's an amazing writer, speaker, uh, mental wellness advocate, which I love. Um, she's inspiring, and I recommend you follow um, her to feel that inspiration that I do every time I see her post on Instagram. Um, I've been discussing with uh, all this going on and seeing all this in our country. I've been talking to several people, and we all have the same questions um, as far as what we can do to stop um, this obvious racism that we still have um, in our country. Um, it's been so disgusting to see all these horrible comments that I've been seeing on Facebook and social media. Um, but at the same time, I'm so touched by, um, a lot of us wanting to advocate and do more to stop this horrible racism. So I wanted to interview someone to tell us what we can do to help the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and I think we need to to just continue doing this. And it, this shouldn't be just a moment, but this should be a movement. And we all need to continue to do better. Stay tuned. Welcome to Therapy Tea with Dr. Lisa C., a weekly podcast about all things mental health, positive mindset, and all things life brings us. Join your host as she brings you tips and tools to improve your mental health and optimize your life. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for therapy. Now your host, Dr. Lisa C. Hi, Nakia. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. How are you? Good, good. Uh, good. So introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do. Um, my name is Nakia Homer of NakiaHomer.com. And I'm a writer, a speaker, and a mental wellness advocate. Advocate. I work with aspiring women um, by teaching them to embrace their personal stories and use it um, and leverage it to become better versions of themselves. Started um, weekly on my website and then people started to ask for more. So I decided to turn my personal Instagram page into um, a sort of wall of inspiration, motivation, tips and tools. Um, for those who would like to stop by every day in the morning before starting their day. And I've kind of been doing that for a little while now. And that's essentially who I am online. Good, good. Yeah, I, and I love your stuff. I'm always, you're so inspiring. And, Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, um, activists, it's super important. I tell everyone um, it's important for us to take care of our mental health especially here in the Hispanic community. I think I told you I, I live in, in deep South Texas, which is 93% uh, um, Hispanic uh, people here. And we're about 1.5 million uh, population here in, in South Texas. Um, and so it's, wow. it's hard for you know, some of these still Hispanic families that they don't think that mental illness is um, or mental health is important. So, you know, every time I see anyone that is a mental health advocate, I, I want to share their information. So thank you for that. Thank you. I always say, you know, if I can spread awareness and, you know, I'm a, psych I, I'm a psychotherapist, but, you know, it's mm -hmm. kind of like they, they look at me and it's like, of course, she's going to spread awareness. That's what she does for a living. Mm -hmm. I always 
you know, I always say it's super important for other people to do that. And um, I love that about you. So thank you. Um, so I know I told you about the incident um, that occurred here in South Texas. I don't know if you saw it on the news, but, um, you know, when all this happened with George Floyd, um, I wanted to um, interview someone just to give us, you know, some information. Um, and I was talking to my patients and, and family, and I was just mentioning how um, we don't have a, a huge black population here. I think it makes up like 0.5% of the population here. It's grown a little uh, more throughout the years, like these past few, uh, few years, but um, we don't, but we still have a lot of racism, not only um, racism against black people, but also against um, Hispanic people in, in their own uh, culture, you know, Hispanic against Hispanic. Um, and, and then that happened that, you know, guy with the chainsaw and he's this Hispanic guy comes out and these peaceful protesters were, um, just minding their own business, you know, protesting and, you know, he comes out and parks his truck and takes the chainsaw out and starts threatening these people. And it was horrible. It's, you know, and I think, you know, a, a minority, you should be more, you know, sensitive to to stuff like this but i mean it's it's here it's in the valley and in in deep south texas and um it's just horrible but yeah that's what happened here this was uh, two weeks ago um wow. so i wanted to interview you because i wanted to ask you you know how we can what we can do now to help fight this racism um what do you think you know i, I like i said i i wanted to to interview someone to give us some insight. What is your? Yeah, I, th I think it's an interesting time. I've had these kinds of conversations since George Floyd, um, of course, with a lot of non-Black um, people, and I'm excited about a conversation. I'm also careful, um, just because um, I did an interview last night, it was a panel discussion, and one of the questions was, how are you doing? Over the past couple of weeks, I know it's been difficult, it's been a lot, it's been stressful, it's been heavy, how are you doing? And I appreciated the question, you know, someone else checking in on me, which I think we need most often. But one of the things I was able to share is that as a Black woman, this is life for me. Yeah. So although this is new, to a lot of people over the past few weeks, and this is heavy for a lot of people over the past few weeks, this is a day in the life of many Black people, of many people of color. And so I think starting with conversations is really, really good yeah. because there are a lot of people who just don't know. They haven't identified it in their own communities. They haven't been able to um, engage with people who are not like them for various reasons. And so having an open um, dialogue with someone who is Black, someone who is a person of color is a really good start. Um, but it's just a start. Yeah. And the one of the things that you will hear a lot of Black people um, speaking against is systemic racism or system, systemic oppression. 
And um, that is where the conversation needs to turn from just talking to action. And so although I am appreciative of the conversations and I am engaged in them, I don't want individuals taking on the weight of racism themselves because it is a human issue and it is a systemic issue. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, it's, it's crazy that, you know, it's 2020 and we're still fighting this. It's, to me, it's just ridiculous and crazy. But I, you know, this needs to be a movement, not a moment. And, you know, we all have to do our part. So, um, yeah. And so the next question, how can I use my white privilege to help the Black Lives Matters movement? And this is one of my patients actually was, was asking me to ask this question. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, of course I told her some stuff, but I was like, who better to ask than Nakia? <laughs> yeah, I think that's also a really um, good question. And I, I appreciate that as well, because it is a lot of, like I have many conversations around self-care. And um, for me, self-care is personal responsibility. That is where I rest in care for myself. And so um, taking personal responsibility and asking the question, how can I as an individual help is great. I would say um, a lot of people are now committed to speaking up um, and not being silent when they witness um, an instance of um, racism. That's a good place to start. Um, holding family members accountable to certain conversations that go on behind closed doors over the dinner table is really good. Um, I'm a mother, and so I've been having these conversations with other mothers who are raising non-Black children to raise responsible children who see color, because some people are saying, you know, in a, in a really... Um, and it's really well-intentioned, like it's good intention behind it, saying that they're going to raise children that don't see color. But it's important for us to see color because color is a part of who I am. Um, I can't hide it. I can't shift it. I can't change it. And so if your child sees me, I want them to see me as a Black person and see me as human, see me as equal, see me as just as valuable. And so those are places you can start with parenting responsible um, children who will grow up to be responsible adults, um, speaking out when you see instances of racism in your community, but also in your family. And um, the third thing I would say, checking those implicit biases um, that a lot of people are just now becoming aware of. And by definition, an implicit bias is just something that you unknowingly see um, or take action against or toward um, in a prejudiced way a group of people based on what they identify, how they identify themselves or how you identify them um, pertaining to race. So stereotypes, things that uh, we typically stereotype um, other people as like you know, whatever example you might have in your, in your family or in your communication around all Black people or Black people or Latina people or Mexican people or Asian people. So just not grouping us all. Um, and it might not be something that you even know about. I gave an example yesterday about how when I was maybe 15 or 16 years old, um, I was dating someone who was uh, biracial. 
So he was white and his father was black, but his mother had remarried um, another white person. And so he was raised in an environment around all white people. And we were over there for dinner. I was asked, my grandmother was an amazing cook. She just passed away in March. Mm. And um, his mother asked for my grandmother to make some fried chicken, Mm. right? Because who doesn't like fried chicken? Um, even if you, I mean, unless you're vegan and, um, you know, typically try to eat healthfully, we enjoy occasional fried chicken. So anyway, we're there and they're eating and they're enjoying it. And she said, I love the way you guys fry chicken. And I knew her intent wasn't to be um, prejudiced or racist against me. Yeah. It was just something that went on in her mind that we as black people eat fried chicken. I have family members who are black who don't eat it. Yeah. You know, I have family members who are black who don't eat watermelon, you know, those biases. Yeah. So checking your biases, raising responsible children, and then having uncomfortable conversations where you check family members and friends around conversations that are racist. Yeah, I agree. And it's just like, you know, with the, the Mexican people, they think that we all love uh, beans and, you know, and mm-hmm. kids don't like beans. And so, yeah, you're, mm-hmm. but you're right about also how um, sometimes we grow up like that. You hear, hearing our uh, parents or family members um, and we think that that's okay. You know, that's when you have to just kind of step back and say, you know, no, this isn't and talking to your family about that and those stereotypes and, you know, when they joke around about stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And speaking specific to privilege, um, speaking specific to privilege, because I think this is a sensitive conversation with um, non-Black people, white people who feel like they haven't done anything wrong and to have privilege, um, they, there's a lot of shame around it, a lot of guilt around it. And a lot of, I see a lot of them trying to explain certain things away. So the white privilege that a lot of whites get to experience today is something that was established systemically years ago, you know, long before we were even born into the world. And so although they didn't um, help define it, formulate, contribute to it, et cetera, it is indeed a fact. And so if you do have an opportunity, and I have some amazing uh, white women who have said, you know, Nikia, your platform is amazing, but you should be heard by way more people. So here's my platform, Um, speak, teach, talk, you know, help me and my community understand. So they literally gave me the floor. Um, I remember being in a grocery store, I get to the um, seafood department first, and then a white woman comes up after me, she's even standing behind me, but the people on the other side of the counter don't see who comes first. They come over and immediately look to her. Um, and I saw her prior to this happening, look at me as if to say, you know, um, have you been helped? You know, have you been helped yet? And she stepped back. But when the person came over to her, she started to place her order rather than saying and acknowledging that I was there first. first. That is a form of white privilege that is. So on the surface looks like nothing, but as a black person, it looks as, as I, it looks like I'm invisible. Yeah. I'm not seen in that moment. I'm not valued in that moment. And so, although it's something that seems so minor to someone else, it says a lot 
to someone who is invisible and not seen in the moment. So when you see instances like that, using your privilege to just say, I'm sorry, she was here first. And then, um, you know, it's that simple. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, okay. Next question. Um, this was something one of my other patients, or actually several of my patients have been asking me this. Um, I sometimes don't know what to say. Um, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I wish I could ask someone what is appropriate to say. And I think most people were asking, um, should I use African-American or black when I talk about, um, you know, someone? Um, so what, what is appropriate for you? What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is another common question. I'm glad you asked. Um, it was on a panel yesterday and all the past couple of weeks, this is what the conversation has been. I think the reason why people would be cautious now is valid because um, there are things, these are these implicit biases, these things that are going on that you didn't know about and weren't aware of. And now that you're aware, you want to make sure that you are doing the right thing or in the right standing. But the reason why this would even be a question is because there were so many derogatory terms attributed to Black people and people of color. So I understand it and I hold space for it. Um, The truth of the matter is I'm a Black woman is how I identify myself because that was one of the things that was given to me as an option and my ancestors as an option after, you know, the N-word and colored person, et cetera. Um, African-American is something that's fairly new. And it was something that um, a Black person, um, I believe at this point, has been attributed to Jesse Jackson, um, decided that would be more of a word of endearment and also something that kind of tied us to a specific heritage because we were enslaved and then slaves for so many years, there is a disconnect from our origin. We don't know. So a person who is Mexican-American can say they're from Mexico. A person who is, uh, you know, Jamaican-American can say they're from Jamaica. Um, There are so many countries of Africa. We have no idea where it it is and Africa is not a country. So to say African-American, you know, we can go on and on about that whole thing. But all that, to, if you are questioning what to call a particular person, ask them, what are they comfortable with? Um, if you don't know what to say, and they'll let you know, you know, if, if I didn't know what your heritage is, the only way I'm gonna find out is to ask, are you Mexican? Are you Puerto Rican, Dominican? You know, where are you from? And then when you tell me I'm able to see you and identify, who you are. So I would say ask. The second thing I would say is this is a moment where doing the wrong thing um, is can be detrimental depending on what the wrong thing is. But I'm hoping that people see that the only way to truly change is to identify what the problem is. So you can't heal what you've been hiding um, you can't heal yourself and make your, hold yourself accountable if you're not okay with messing up, stumbling, making a mistake. And so I offer everyone in my community to fall here. It's a safe place. I won't hold it against you. Um, I understand the dynamic of certain things. And so hopefully there is some safe places where white people can have these conversations, where they're not targeted, where they're not meant to feel guilty or shamed. Um, And if you are in a space that's not comfortable, find a comfortable space or a comfortable person that you can ask. But I can't speak for all 
I don't know what other black people want to be called. They may want to be called African American. They want to, they may want to be um, identified by their, by their place of origin. Um, if they know it, I don't. So I go by black woman and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's a tricky, it's a tricky, it tricky is. question, a tricky answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're right. Just like, you know, all Hispanic people aren't Mexican American. There's, you know, El mm -hmm. Salvador, Nicaragua, there's a lot of other um, mm -hmm. countries. Um, mm -hmm. So what organizations do you, uh, would you say um, are good organizations for us to donate money to? I know here, like I said, in the Valley, we don't have a big black population, but um, we have had um, protests um, throughout the Valley, but um, there's some people that are wondering, who do I donate to? What do I, where can I um, donate? And I know that my, where I know that my uh, money will be used for, for good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, this is another question I try not to generalize because there are so many funds out there and there are so many questions around certain funds and what to do. So I would say you have to do your research. One of the things I recommend is to identify a cause that you believe in, something that is resonating with you, something that you're saying to yourself, oh, that is so shameful, that's hurtful, that's harmful. I wish there's something I can do. And then simply Google how to donate donating to what funds to donate to that spe specific um cause um that way it's authentic and that way it's well is well thought out and intentional um but there are national funds that are out there now like the black lives movement and they have chapters um globally there is the bailout funds that are out there for protesters who are arrested so that they can get bailed out and go home to their families um, if you are still torn um, concerning George Floyd, he has children and family members that still need to be taken care of. Um, you can donate there. But I personally would say get behind a specific cause. So an example of this for me is I believe wholeheartedly in prison reform. Um, that is a huge um, negative mark on America, the whole um, system of um, oppressing black men, women, and even children in the justice system and keeping them there for years is something that is wrong. And I'm not a lawyer, but I've worked in prison, in the prison system as a treatment counselor and a clinician. So I was able to position myself physically in a place where I'm able to affect the cause. But there are people like, um, Bianca um, Juarez, she's in California. Her church is a ministry that goes into prisons on the weekends to minister and support women. Um, and they have um, their information on her website where you can donate. So I've donated there. So that's an example of picking a specific cause that you get behind and then researching ways that you can support it. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I've, I've donated already to the, the bailout, um, mm -hmm. like for people that were getting arrested. And then I also donated, I actually contacted the, uh, black therapists. Um, what is their website called? Mm. I forgot. It's, it's an organization that, um, um, helps black therapists and it, to, for also people that are looking for black therapists and I contacted them. I wanted to offer free services, but then I thought, okay, these people want probably, you know, to be, um, 
with a black therapist. So then I just donated money to them, um, which was hopefully, um, you know, mm -hmm. people are, I mean, and that's needed. I think that's um, one thing that I think is needed right now um, for people that are going through this is to um, seek help. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, racism is, is horrible. And, you know, I've been um, discriminated against and it's horrible, but my brothers and my, you know, our fathers aren't getting killed by police the way black people are. And so it's, it's horrible. Um, but yeah. Um, so I know that also you have merchandise on your website. So I wanted uh, people to, to plug in your, your um, website. So people oh, thank you. love your stuff. I actually yeah. mug. Okay, good. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I think it was the one that said, um, get it, sis? Is that what it said? I forgot what it um, Do your thing, sis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I call those my tangible pep talks. Um, things that I've said that kind of resonated with people. My bestseller is Don't Settle. Um, I did a whole like movement around Don't Settle for a few years and then created some merchandise around it um so the don't settle mug the t-shirt is also my second bestseller but yeah there are merchandise there's there are mer there's merch as my son would say <laughs> at nikiahomer.com backslash shop um i also offer mentorship um sessions i call them power sessions oh. so you can schedule a call with me to talk about a specific instance based on um things that i've talked about things that i've actually overcome myself um, or we do four weeks, 12 weeks, 24 weeks, and they're called power sessions. A lot of the people who come to me identify with pushing through struggle. I work with aspiring women because it's really difficult um, to go through personal issues and still show up in your life professionally, still show up for your children, still show up in your community, um, but we do it. And sometimes we do it to our detriment. And so a lot of people found me recently over a quote that I um, posted about how um, you're not lazy, you're not unmotivated, and you're not stuck. Um, after years of living your life in survival mode, you're exhausted yeah. and there's a difference. And I know you can speak to this as a doctor, um, the weight of emotional um, exhaustion is overwhelming. And so I have committed myself to walking with women through um, specific instances of ex emotional exhaustion in their life, sharing the specific things I've done to overcome and hope offering it to them. But I also, so those are ways that you can support me and I appreciate the plug. Mm -hmm. um, but openpathcollective.org is um, something that I also encourage people to donate to because it's a way for people to get um, affordable therapy in their area. It's a national website. So if you plug in your information, they'll find resources and therapists for you in your specific city. Um, and it's offered on a sliding scale. And so I think you pay a one-time fee just to join the collective and then you can get therapy for as low as $50 um, a session or whatever. And um, I know my therapist is involved in that and a lot of the people in her community and you can identify if you prefer um, a, a doctor or a therapist of the same um, heritage as you, you can find it, a female, a male, um, whatever. So that's another good place to donate um, funds. 
That's awesome. Um, so your sessions, are they weekly? I know you said there was 24 weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you just wanted to call, like it was one person, she was in a horrible situation with her ex and her child. And she's like, no one in my family is giving me good advice on this. Um, and of course, therapists can't tell you what to do. <laughs> they can offer um, a safe place for you to come up with ways to cope, come up with talking things through and processing it. But I'm not afraid and won't get in trouble <laughs> for telling someone what to do. Yeah. And so that's one way to work with me. But yes, with my sessions, it's if you do 12 weeks or say four weeks, there's a one um, once a week phone call, there are email exchange, and then there are assignments and like we specifically go through these methods and these things that I've developed over the course of my life to assist you with whatever it is that um, you're facing. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll be sure to, to share that with people because that, that is awesome. And you're right. You know, with, with us, sometimes people come in and they want advice. I'm like, that's not what we're here for. <laughs> Uh, no. Yeah, and I re and and I t I tell people because there are some people who come to me and they actually need therapy, and so I'm careful to say and cautious. I chose not to be a therapist because I love to self disclose. I I tell my story. That's how I've healed. That's how I've grown, and that's how I'm most effective. Um, and I also have to tell people <laughs> what to do, but there are professionals who help you process things yeah. in a way that I am not licensed to do. And so I'm so careful. Some, most of my clients see me and a therapist. Um, so they're able to, you know, talk to someone who's trained, um, who is licensed to help them with their mental, um, health and then talk with me on their wellness and their mental wellness because now we're able to get into things you know yeah <laughs> yeah that's yeah. Awesome. yeah yeah no um well thank you so much is there anything else that you want to share with us um i know your stuff is awesome so i um suggest everyone go and look at your website because you have awesome merch <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you. No, I, I appreciate the opportunity and I'm grateful for the conversation. Um, I know that a lot of the, the people who are reaching out to me are doing so um, and putting their own brands at risk by doing so. And so I appreciate having difficult conversations with non-Black people, including yourself, especially as a doctor. Um, being so open to this is a great contribution to the cause and um, a great start to help us in racism. So I just wanted to, to end by thanking you. Oh, thank you so much. Well, thank you for your time again and keep in touch, of course, if you need anything. I'm yeah. um, and I look forward to seeing what other amazing things you do. Thank you. Okay, we'll see you, bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening. Find us on Instagram at Dr. Lisa Cortez and online at www.drlisacortez.com.
Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, remember, healthy mind, healthy you.